This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm going to get somebody else to stand in. <laughs> and pretend to be you? Yes. It's usually uh, usually better. That's that's my panic that someday that happens somehow, you know. It's like, oh, we finally get Nicolas Cage. And right. he just sits around and goes off on how much he hates Jews for an hour. And we're like, okay. <laughs> and we put it out. And it's like, that was not Nicolas Cage. Right. <laughs> Actually, that's sort of already happened to us with somebody else. But we just never ended up uh, running. <laughs> well, not, not quite as bad as that. Let's, no, not as bad as that. Yes, yes. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm... I'm uh, um, Disappointed in myself, Joe, when I, uh, I I spoke to Gendy earlier on the phone and I uh, gave up how I came to his latest show, but I'm going to have to do it again. But um, uh, we are we are very 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 excited to be joined by Gendy Tartakovsky. Tartakovsky. Oh my God! I knew I was going to think that. I was like, I got it down, <laughs> and I as soon as it Tartakovsky. Tartakovsky. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. He's a Russian. He's a Russian. He's a Russian. Um, creator of many, many great uh, animated delicacies like Dexter's Laboratory, Samurai Jack. I saw you were involved with Powderpuff Girls. Powderpuff Girls, yes. Yes, yes. yes. Um, uh, I was a producer-director, yeah. I have a a little nod to them in a a very, very tiny, obscure horror film that I wrote and directed in 2000. So (laughs) one of the characters was obsessed with that show. Oh, that's cool. uh, Which I had never actually seen at the time. (laughs) (laughs) But um, uh, I have to tell you how we came to this. Um, uh, I've always enjoyed your work, uh, as, as have millions of others. And um, as listeners know, actually, we had two babies on the show. Joe, Joe had a granddaughter the same day my son was born. Wow, congrats. Uh, on June 2nd, yes. Uh, although he doesn't have to, uh, you know, wake up and take care of her every night. Um, and they're going to be force-fed cartoons. That's, that's right. <laughs> we did agree they were going to be force-fed cartoons. And uh, my son who's now three months old is is pretty chill kid, but every every few nights when we feed him, he doesn't go back to sleep for a while. And uh, I've, I'm generally the one who takes him and has to sort of deal with him for, we found out about 22, 23 minutes is what it takes to get him back to sleep. Wow. And my good friend, Amber Lee Frost, who has been on the show, a wonderful writer and podcaster, um, turned me on to Primal, not realizing that I would put two and two together. And uh, my first night sitting there with him in the dark room, uh, I turned on the TV. It was like, I got to watch something. It's 20. Oh, yeah, this primal show. I got to tell you, it, it's killing me. I only watch it with him. And it's entirely <laughs> up to him. So I have, I, have, I have three episodes to go before I finish what's, what's there of the second season, although I gather there's more coming. Yep, tomorrow. Uh, oh, tomorrow? Yeah. yeah on HBO Max or on? Um... Uh, it'll be Friday. It'll be on HBO Max. Oh. Yeah. Thursday nights on Adult Swim. Miles will be so excited. 
Um, but Primal is a revelation. I I am so in love with this show. Um, it is, it appears to be, um, you can laugh at me. I'm not an animation guy. It appears to be hand-drawn or at least. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Classic hand-drawn animation. It is uh, uh, the story of a caveman and his friend, Dinosaur, who are brought together by horrific tragedy. Um, and the show is deeply and powerfully emotional. It's incredibly graphic and brutal and it's just uproarious fun um and not i've been led to i i, I was not aware of this until a few days ago not historically accurate uh turns out joe i don't know if you know this that uh, dinosaurs <laughs> and cavemen um did not exist at the same time and no well that's 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 been a bromide ever since one million bc <laughs> that's, that's right, right. <laughs> and and then lately they've introduced what i believe are scotsmen because they're uh they're blue they're the um celts uh, celts i mean yes, yeah, yes or ancient celts. ancient picts uh who uh, also i believe did not exist at the same time as either cavemen or dinosaurs but um go with me folks they're animators they're not historians um but uh, un until until he uh until he found your show he was uh regaling his child with mandy uh every time <laughs> the kid would wake up he would show him mandy that is not true at all. but the first the first book i read to him i found out you're supposed to read to them even though they don't understand was the um yes the making of um, um fury road which is highly highly recommended book um mm. but anyway so i was like we, we've got to get this guy on the show because uh there's obviously a uh clearly a movie lover all kinds of little nods and winks in there to, to great films and uh just an excuse to tell you uh, how much uh, my son and I love your show as well. So uh, thank you. Thank you for, thank you for oh, joining us. Thank you. Um, at the risk of blowing any secrets, is there going to be another season after this one? Or we... I mean, I don't know. We're, you know, we're part of the Warner Brothers Discovery family. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, well. Family, family in quotes. <laughs> Say no more. Yeah. <laughs> as in dysfunctional. Yeah. And so, you know, who knows? And this is my... Because I started way back when at Hanna Barbera, mm. and it got you know it got bought by Turner. Turner merged with Warner Brothers. They got bought by AOL, and then AT and T, and now this. And so I've been through it for all these, you know, corporate takeovers or bonding or whatever it is, uh, synergy. Um, and we've survived, and we're still you know everybody still needs content. So we'll see. I'm hopeful. Yeah. And so we'll see what happens. These are strange and perilous times for all of us. Yes. Not particularly um, happen to work there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, Gendy had a great idea. We talked and um, he had a great, great, great idea. It's just so on my alley. And I think you're going to love this show for the movies he wanted to talk about. Uh, do, do you want to describe your, your sort of uh, overarching theme or shall I? Or? Yeah, I can talk about it. I mean, I think... Um, because instead of just picking, you know, 10 movies that I'm sure you guys, you know, like The Godfather, Apocalypse Now, like all the stuff that everybody loves, I thought it'd be cool to talk about the movies that really inspired me with uh, no, not a lot of dialogue sequences and movies just in general with not that much dialogue. I think somehow I, those movies resonated with me and I always try to figure out why I went this direction because I've been trying to do visual sequences since you know, since the first stuff I've ever done. That's sort, of your, that's sort of your trademark, isn't it? I mean, you're fairly well known for, you know, long stretches of not talking and just, you know, visuals. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it might be just a, you know, 
you know, just an animation thing. Like I like watching movement and, you know, and I was, you know, I was inspired by the, you know, Warner Brothers cartoons, Take Savory, all that stuff. And it was all very, especially the Take Savory stuff was not a lot of dialogue. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if that just stayed with me or because I was an immigrant, who knows? But uh, so anyway, so I picked oh, 10 movies. Oh, interesting. I hadn't even thought. Yeah. Were you, were you, uh, uh, so English is your second language? It is. Yeah. And so that you grew was, up watching this stuff. Oh, that makes, okay. Yeah. I was born, I was born in Russia. We immigrated here when I was seven and then my dad got a TV set and um, all of a sudden there was, you know, Popeye, Hanna-Barbera, all the Warner Brothers stuff, right. uh, MGM cartoons. And I was, I was lit up by it all. Uh, I never outgrew it. And I don't know. I don't know yeah. what happened. Uh, I know a guy like that. Um, I'm, I'm looking at him right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny enough. I was watching an old Chuck Jones documentary and mm. there was uh, Joe on there. Did Joe pop up in that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I pop up a lot. In fact, I, my, my IMDB listing as self is much longer than my actual work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should also point out too, if anybody has not seen Primal, that, um, it's a perfect one for this show because uh, at the risk of giving something away, the first word is spoken on the show um, uh, at the very end of the last episode of the first season. So, I mean, <laughs> this is yes. this is a show uh, absent any dialogue whatsoever. So. But also, we, got, we, we should uh, mention that this is the man behind Hotel Transylvania. Uh, that too, yes. Which, is, my God, which yes. is one, one of the, uh, the more clever uh, revisits of the monsters from our childhood yes uh that one is you know it's a feature and um uh it's like i'm proud of it i'm proud animation wise what we did with did with it and stuff and um you know uh features are more complex uh where tv i have more autonomy and i can mm. pretty much do pretty much what i want through you know um, after working with the same people for so long, there's a level of trust and freedom that I have you know, to do a show like Primal. Yeah, it, it feels like um, there, there's something very, in the best way possible, kind of homemade about it. Uh, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that you've been working with those folks for a long time. Yeah, I was always worried not to make it too much of a, uh, like an art film or, you know, something that's more independent feeling. I still wanted it to feel like it's for the masses. Mm -hmm. Um, but it seems like it's, it's working. Okay. So. Fantastic. Yeah. It's got, it's got enough decapitations that uh, you're not, you're not going to fall into the, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's do it. Let's, let's pick one and then get going here. What, um, um, well, probably the earliest, uh, thing that I've ever seen was, uh, probably Sergio Leone and, mm. um, and I think the first one that I saw was Fistful of Dollars, because when we were immigrating from Russia, um, we had to stay in Italy for three months. And uh, my dad, so I was like seven, and my dad took us to the movies and we saw Fistful of Dollars um, in Italian. And, uh, and I don't remember much about it. I just remember really liking it. And then, you know, once I saw Once Upon a Time in the West, it was incredible. It really, you know, and, and especially that opening sequence. Oh. And I think, I think that's what it's all about with the guys just sitting there and waiting for the train. And, the and almost no dialogue. Yes. And no dialogue. No yes. Dialogue. <laughs> um, and it, it just blew me away. I think it's stuff like that resonates. And I think when I sit in the, 
when I sit in the movie theater or where I sit at home and watch something, I want to get, you know, sucked in, you know, yeah. and uh, it's, it's harder and harder to do nowadays because I don't know if it's because, you know, as filmmakers, you're, you're looking at the craft and you forget that you're supposed to be following along the story, but when it does it really well, you're sucked in. And uh, could you get away with on a TV show, especially that kind of opening scene? Um, Cause it, it's what, it must be 10 minutes. Of just no, no, those three they, guys. They would, it would be, it would be very difficult to talk. I think <laughs> to talk producers into letting you not have to not have anything happen. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a scene about nothing happening. Guys are waiting it's for something so and then it doesn't happen until the very, very last part. Yeah. But it creates such, it creates such great suspense. And, yeah. uh, uh, and so I think that's the kind of, I mean, the whole movie's incredible, but that sequence really, and to have an opening sequence like that, yeah, like you said, like you're just kind of building these characters barely. They're just kind of sitting and waiting in their own in their own way. Um, and there's something about it that's just fascinating. And I think you get, you know, it was never boring to me. It was always like, wow, look at what's happening. And um, no, know, it's one of those scenes you can watch on its own. You can kind of throw up and just enjoy for its uh, its own sake. And, yeah, and the close-ups and how close he gets the camera to them. It's really, um, it's really amazing. You know, I still, every time I watch a Sergio Leone movie, I still am fascinated by his choices and, and, um, and how unique they are, you know, and as a. In my understanding, Joe, we talked about this before, the, the Ennio Morricone actually scored that scene, the, the sound effects, the creaking and the, the doors. Well, yeah, much like Bernard Herrmann did in The Birds. You know, they, if you get your composer involved in the, in the sound effects, I mean, it all becomes one of them. Sort of oral mass, and, yeah. uh, and and you know, Marconi wrote a lot of that music before he, anything was shot. But but the fact that he's composing creaking doors and you know Rattling drops knuckles. hitting a guy's hat and yeah crunching knuckles and things is just that must have been a blast. I, I want to see the sheet music for that. What does that look like? <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's that's kind of um, it's it always left the mark and it's always. Uh, you know, without just doing the, I think, I think Sergio Leone has such a big influence on me, not just from the dramatic gunfight setups, you know, mm -hmm. not, not so much that, but for the pacing, the, the, the music, the way the music worked in his movies, um, the cinematography, all that stuff was, um, you know, incredibly powerful to me, you know, as, as I was, as I was developing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but that that is that is such a and it's so funny because when you think of him, you think of you know gunfights and so forth. But that 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 is such a pivotal sequence. It's it's like a, just a masterpiece. Yeah, because also like one of the ones that was my favorite is from another movie, from the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and it's the big uh, showdown at the cemetery at the very mm. end. Mm. You no, know, yeah, the the music, the camera, like everything, just building. Uh, building and building. And that's one thing I think that came to me when I started doing Samurai Jack um, is in animation, everything is so caricatured timing wise. Mm -hmm. Like every, everything is built to be snappy and fast. And because we're, we're drawing and then we're holding a drawing, you're very impatient, right? And there's no sound as we're doing it. So the tendency, the tendency is to cut. Right. But when you watch live action and the camera is on somebody like Clint Eastwood or something, 
you could stay there for and linger for minutes and everybody will enjoy it. And they're, they're drawn in by the acting. So I always wanted to see, well, how far can I push it? You know, and from Samurai Jack, I slowed everything down. And, and it's funny, I started out on Dexter's Lab trying to do as snappy and quick and tight timing as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And then later realizing what a mistake that was. <laughs> and now with each show that I do, I'm slowing it down and slowing it down. And, and even if you go from Samurai Jack to Primal, Primal is twice as slow. Right. As, um, and working as like a timing director in animation, there's like these stamps that we were taught. Okay, opening pan is four feet eight. You know, so it's three seconds. And I'm like, but what's the mood? You know, and why is it this random number? And when you watch it, it's just like, and that's it. There's no. There's really, no so those were like, those were, those were formalized rules that were kind of handed down. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's well, crazy. Because, you know, I mean, the, you know, I, I, I started to do my stuff in the early nineties and that we were just getting over the eighties, which is, you know, the dark ages of animation, especially in television. Mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, there was the old guard and the new guard and the old guard was burnt out and tired and angry. And the new guard, we were like super excited to get into it. And, um, and then there's all these rules and, and nobody knows why it's like that. It just, you know, that's the way they wanted you to do it. And so every project I took that four foot eight and I doubled it. <laughs> so in, in Samurai Jack, the pans were you know, nine feet. In primal, they're 18 feet. And still sometimes it's not slow enough. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know. Um yeah, yeah. anyways, it's a lot of animation nerd talk, but <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, that's, 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 that's what we want to hear, you know, is like how these things originated, you know, where they come from. But um, yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, let's let's uh let's do another one. Yeah. Um, so I think the next one that's probably one of the most influ- influential for me is Conan the Barbarian. And um, especially for, I don't know what it was, but it, that movie hit me hard. And especially the first, you know, 30, 40 minutes. It's, it's mostly visual. And again, it's visual storytelling that I think I just react to. And uh, it was so, uh, I guess it's like, it's sincere <clears throat> and honest. And at the same time, it's pulpy and cartoony. Uh, but it takes itself seriously. It's not making a joke. It's, you know, it, you know, if, if you watch the second, the second Conan, it's such a joke compared mm-hmm. to the first one. And I think the tone and the feel of it uh, and the music, you know, I think the, the visuals, sound effects and music, right, go so hand in hand for everything to work um, that it's, it's hard to love one without loving the other parts of it yeah. also. Well, there's also that with Milius, as much as he knows it's kind of goofy and pulpy, he does take that stuff very seriously too. That uh... yeah, and it's there's there's like such a there's such an art to it to to make something that's uh, I don't know if it's supernatural or or uh, or just you know caricatured or cartoony or fantasy, and to present it in a light that's very sincere and believable, and then the honest the audience buys into it because it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> what it what it is you know and with with mako narrating some of it you know it's such a interesting choice and i felt and so i'm you know i was probably 12 when i watched it and i fell in love with it so much that when 
we did Samurai Jack. I made Mako the voice of the villain, Aku. Ah, fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. And, and, if, and he was, you know, he was unbelievable what, what he did with that. And, um, and so, yes, yeah, so I think that sequence from the music uh, to the way it was structured, you know, when I look at montages through, you know, sh- showing the passage of time and somebody growing up, um, that's the one I go to. It's right. just so, it's so great. Um, it's been so long since I've seen it. Does that, does that remember? Is the first revelation of Arnold, now he's finally grown up, that great scene where he finally, um, where he discusses the greatest thing in life? That's much later. Oh, is that much later? Okay, somehow. Yeah, I that was, it's, all right. it's him at the, at, the, at the wheel, and he's just pushing right. his no, wheel. That's right, yes, he's pushing the wheel. As a kid, and all of a sudden, the kid dissolves into these giant, you know, Arnold legs. And then you yes. pan up, and then he looks up into camera. He's been pushing the wheel for thirty yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, and it's so stupid, <laughs> but it's it's amazing, and uh, and and yeah, and, and you know, there's you know, there's stuff that you see as a kid that the perception obviously is a lot different as an adult, right? Um, and that one still, when I watch it today, it's still super super great. And, um, I've got to go back. It's been a long time, and I, I can still. Can you guys? Uh, do you guys? Can you do the greatest things in life? The greatest thing in life. Either of you? Yeah, it's the uh, let's see the lamentation of the woman to see the your enemies. You know, I don't know. Forget the exact word. Prostrated, prostrated. I think crush yeah. your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations of the their women. women. Yeah, the women <laughs> has to be the women. <laughs> so that was um, that was huge, and then um, another one that struck me. Uh, also kind of building my sensibility, I think it's Hudsucker Proxy, mm. you know? Um, and so that one was made with sequences. And I know that's kind of funny to say because each movie <laughs> has sequences, but that one, the sequences were so pushed and, uh, and uniquely pushed that it stood out, you know? So there's like the blue letter, you know, and you go through the, the mail and, and all this stuff is flying and it's all this uh, orchestration of mm-hmm. this energy that's happening. And then, of course, the birth of the hula hoop. Right. Right. Like that was and again, the music, you know, is so much part of it. And you're watching it and you just have to smile. You know, and it's funny because the Coen brothers are really known for their smart dialogue. Right. And their sure. the, the acting and everything. And, and I know Sam Raimi helped with that sequence. Um, and so, but the, the visually, the, the building, the timing, the, the hula hoop rolling up and rolling on the ground and you get to that great down shot and then she steps in the middle of it, you know, all that stuff. And I think, you know, before I got a chance to do my own things, it's the kind of thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to have visual sequences that are told more by the physical action than by the word. And, um, and I remember working for a show, it was like one of my first storyboard jobs, and I would try to do that, and the producer always took it out. He always really? thought it was, yeah, he just, he never thought it was entertaining, never thought it was funny, and it was the most frustrating time because I never, I could never tell if my ideas would work. Right. He would just take them all out. This and is so, an animation producer. On yeah, an oh yeah, yeah. TV show. Yeah. And, uh, 
Well, you know, going back in, in time, the, the animation producers from Leon Schlesinger to Fred Quinby to all those guys were not usually guys who were known for a hilarious sense of humor. <laughs> no, but this guy, he was an artist also. He was the, you know, the producer director. So he was supposedly one of us, but right. he just didn't understand it. And, you know, and I was you know, 23 or something, 24. And so what can I do? And I had nothing to prove it on. And so, but when I got to do the Dexter pilot, and that was supposed to be just a one-off, you know, part of the program of shorts, I decided, you know, what? I'm going to do everything that I wasn't allowed to do in other shows and just see if it works. And if it doesn't, it's fine. If it works, great. Well, and I'm so- glad they, I'm glad they didn't beat it out of you. <laughs> no. And so I built the sequences and much like, like Hutsucker, it was, it was like that. I tried to- I tried to go, okay, this is going to be the race sequence and try to mm -hmm. think of a, think of a, um, think of a point of view on it. And I would try to stick to that point of view. And then later, you know, you, you learn the more you do, obviously, uh, about what works and what doesn't work and how to properly do it. But we've done so many montages and, and, and sequences like that. And some of them click, and some of them are okay, you know. Um, but it was definitely Hutsucker was a huge, huge, and again, it's, it's very, um, it's very pushed. It's almost cartoony in a way. I was going to say, there's some, it's, I've never been able to quite put my finger on it, but that, that movie, and obviously they're always incredibly visual. I mean, every, every shot is clearly considered in every sequence, but there is some, that one does stand out, um, uh, among a lot of them for, for that. And you kind of help me put my finger on what it is, because it does have a more cartoonish in a great way or you know animated kind of well stylized is often used as a, as a the what stylized is often a word that yeah up. i mean but they're they're often very stylized but this this is a very particular kind of thing i can see why this one would appeal to somebody who was who was you know an, an animation person uh particularly it's it is it's it's stylized is a good word for it i think heightened mm -hmm. they, they well, create crazy a, stuff yeah yeah they kind of create their own heightened level of reality you know, and because they're so consistent with it, it feels right, and it doesn't yeah. it doesn't stand out. Um, so I think maybe that was like a lesson to learn is to, you know, have a direction for the show or the movie or whatever, and try to stick to that tone. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I is, can't imagine like I mean Charles Durning when he's is it, it's Durning who jumps to his death, right? Yeah, when, yeah. He, when he wipes the perspiration off of his glasses as he plunges to his death. Like uh, that would not fit even in most uh, Coen Brothers films, but no, fit in a Tex Avery cartoon though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's very consistent with Hudsucker Proxy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's Hudsucker. Um, let me think what else. And so, I mean, of course, um, Apocalypse Now, um, and not that that has uh, sequences without. I mean, it doesn't have a lot of dialogue in the movie, except, you know, obviously the voiceover stuff. Yeah. But I think the, the, the tone resonated so much. And I remember seeing it in the Cinerama Dome, right? And uh, it comes up and you have that super long beginning, right? And I always remember myself in those moments and I just smile, you know? Cause it's so, it's such a, and I don't know if it's, I'm smiling because it's like, you know, here's the, the director just taking you in. It's his or her's personal choice. 
and you're going in for the specific type of ride. You know, the, mm -hmm. the worst thing I hate is kind of generic openings. And, and nowadays, the most popular is just the character tells you everything you need to know about the movie in a, in a, <laughs> in a narration, especially in animation. And it drives me insane. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm this guy and this is my problem and this is my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's it. So I, true. I, I completely shut off. Like I'm you're treating yeah. me like an idiot. And I'm I'm going to turn off my brain because I don't have to think at all. And yeah, so let I, it wash over me. You know, yeah. let, me, let me figure it out. Me... Yeah. Take a moment to deliver the story. And Apocalypse Now opens up. And then you have just this jungle and the slope. And again, the sound design from, you know, from the Doors music or the who, whoever did, I forget the beginning. And then the, you know, the helicopter sounds come washing over you, especially on the giant, you know, 70 millimeter oh, yeah. projected and the sound filling the, the, the auditorium. It's incredible, you know, and I, and I think I've always tried to find moments like this and it's hard you know you're you're doing hotel transylvania you're not gonna you know you're not gonna have a moment like that but it is that's one of the the magic things about being in the movie theater is this you know this this experience yeah. that you have with other people and you feel you feel the energy of everyone being sucked into it and and it was great you know and and the whole the whole way the the film unfolds and the, you know the the Charlie Sheen or the Martin Sheen sequence where he's going crazy and all that stuff. It's very, you know, I, I feel like cinema used to be very montage. Mm -hmm. Right. You could just put one scene with another. They don't really necessarily, it's not cutting right or whatever. It just feels like an uh, abstract expression, you know, and, yeah. uh, and I feel cinema today has gotten so formalized. That it's you know you know close up medium shot establishing shot and it's just by the numbers. And, yeah, uh, which again is something else I love about your show. And and you mentioned it, I hadn't even I, I wanted to ask you that I forgot and now I'm remembering. Um, I love this because I'm one. You know, there's more and more of us. I uh, watch on a uh, I have an HD projector on a very large screen that because of a total nerd is not only cut to scope uh, uh, dimensions. Um, I measured it by, because, you know, they're all slightly different. I measured it by once upon a time in the West. And uh, Primal is in scope. Yes. It's a TV show that's in scope. But I've been seeing more and more people doing this. And is, is, it, is, it, is it your expectation that someday people will, everybody will have these? Or is it just like, fuck it, this is how I want to do it? Because, boy, your show looks good on a it's, wide screen. It's, <laughs> uh, it's all to make it cinematic. Just yep. to make it feel, you know, because we're, you know, we're doing law, you know, large landscapes. Uh, yeah. And you want it to be a cinematic. There's a, there's a, you know, there's a feeling you get when it's that aspect ratio yeah, versus, versus so. you know, and I've been stuck in a square, in the TV square, the, you know, for a while. And with HD, they finally started to let us break through. And so, you know, why not? Well, yeah. more, more and more, more and more shows uh, on streaming are uh, in uh, in two, three, five, and uh, in the old days, uh, the FCC used to have a rule that you couldn't have black bars on the top and the bottom of the picture because it was not using the frame correctly, and you would get fined. Because when I was making commercials for Roger Corman, it was trailers. We couldn't do scope movies with 
with black bars on the top and bottom because they'd say, well, no, you're not using it. You're, you're violating the, the space. And, and wow. it, it really, and it was until, until these TVs took off, um, that was the reason that so many of us didn't make pictures in sculpt was because we knew that sooner or later they were going to get seen on television, oh, probably, and probably never be seen again in theaters. And so we didn't avail ourselves of it. But now I think everybody and his brother, every, every horror picture I see, every, every yep. independent film, I mean, they're all in scope. No, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. I uh, keep wondering though, because I remember back uh, whenever it was, when, when we finally switched over to 185 TVs and things started being letterboxed. Like, I'm wondering if eventually like uh, enough people do this, or are you going to start getting like flat screen TVs in scope to men? That would be amazing. That would make me very happy. I think they have some. I feel like do I've they seen have, do some. They exist? Yeah, but I think not too many people want to buy it because it's more specific. You know, because then the two the one eight five doesn't look as good. Right. Or right. you know, yeah, neither do yeah. you. Know, like, well, you have to have black bars on the side. Black box. Right. Top. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But. Uh, yeah, but cool. yeah, but but primal for sure. It's it's uh you know it's the best aspect ratio and it's, and we want to take perfect. advantage of it. Yeah. It is perfect, yes. So uh, we want to pause a minute here uh, to thank our sponsor, MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website. They're not only huge fans of our show, showing very good taste, uh, but they also feature many of the movies we discuss here, so you can easily find them to add to your collection. Sure, you can stream a lot of stuff these days, but when you buy your favorites, you watch what you want, when you want, and there's always a ton of great content and bonus features like director commentaries, deleted scenes, and all sorts of goodness that you just don't get on those streaming channels. Uh, yeah, and now more than ever, if you've been reading the news, um, you definitely want to be holding on to uh, your physical media folks. Um, and that's what MoviesUnlimited.com is all about. They've got classics, imports, hard to find films, and of course, new releases too. Uh, if you can't find it there, it probably ain't out. So uh, own the titles you love, enjoy all the bonus features that you don't get elsewhere, like streaming. Click the Movies Unlimited banner on our website and buy your favorites from them. Uh, go to MoviesUnlimited.com, the Movie Collector's website, where shipping is always free on orders over $50. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now let's get back to our conversation with the creator of my son's favorite TV show, Gendy Tartakovsky. So then, so we've talked about Conan, Hutsucker, and Hutsucker and Once Upon a Time in the West, so that are, those are kind of all actiony. I mean, definitely Hutsucker is more comedic. But the the one movie that has affected me so much with comedy is The Party, right? Uh, uh, like Edwards, Peter Sellers, and um, it is everything that I wanted to do. You know, kind of going into animation, it's you know, it's. One character in uh, in the in a you know in an unusual situation, fish out of water, and you just let that character tell the story just through jokes and situations and it's falling over. Yeah, and it's again, it's a cartoon. Obviously, these things are <laughs> uh, 
are because you know I love animation and I'm, I'm an animator at heart. Uh, that movie was such a character study and so you know so genius. And and at, when I first started writing scripts, I'm like, how do you write a movie like that? Right. Right. And without like, if you weren't Blake Edwards, if you were just starting out in that business, right? How do you how do you sell that script? <laughs> how do you right? sell that script exactly? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know? Because uh, at the time I was writing, like I, the first thing I wrote was this Astro Boy uh, script. Mm-hmm. And, and I had, I had like at one point, the opening was five pages without dialogue. <laughs> right. And I was an idiot back then because I would write, I would write in the music and, and it was like, I was storyboarding it, you right. know? And to me, it was like, this is, if I'm an executive and I'm reading this, <laughs> it's extremely clear. And of course, they don't even read it without words for the most part. No, they just, they just read the dialogue. They don't. Exactly. Yeah. It is yeah. the most hard part. Yeah. There's nothing worse than writing an action movie. Yeah. And just knowing for a fact that A, you have to put an extraordinary amount of thought and design into coming up with amazing stunt scenes. B, no one's going to read them. And C, if they make the movie, they're going to throw them out and bring in people who, by the way, are better at it than I am to conceive of stunt sequences. And it just yeah. makes me crazy that you can't just write stunt goes here. You know, <laughs> three henchmen die and James Bond survives. Go nuts. You right, still have right. to pretend that they're going to take your script. And it's, uh, it's just, it's evil. It's yeah. evil. I wish we had this conversation 20 years ago. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but in porn, by the way, in porn, <laughs> they write sex goes here. And, and yes, they know. And that's the whole script though, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I, I, uh, I was fascinated by it and I would, I would, uh, I hunted for more information about this movie and, and what it is. And, and then, um, and then I learned that it was like a 60 page script. And of course, uh, uh, Blake Edwards and Peter Sellers on the day, they would change things up and, and add things that, you know, with the set and everything. And, um, and yeah, and, and that movie is, yeah, it's like almost perfection to me because it's, it's incredibly specific. The tone of it is so interesting and quiet, you know, and then it escalates nicely through the film and it's just a, a character study. But you know, you couldn't make that film today. No. With that character. Change a few Not with that character, no. No. And yeah. of course the character is, is the reason the picture works. Right. You, you, could, yeah. you don't think you could, you could make it some other kind of naive joke? Well, the accent really helps, and, yeah. and the the foreignness of it, and the fact that he's not of this world, you know, he's from somewhere yeah. else, is is it's endemic to the way he behaves and his confusion and his innocence about what what's really going on. Um, I think it's hard; it would be hard to do that with just some guy. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Maybe be- you know. Maybe Adam Sandler will, will remake it. <laughs> he could be bite a your tongue. Bite your he could, tongue. He could be a Frenchman. <laughs> the great thing is, there's no need to remake it. You can just make a movie that's like it that ends up being nothing like it. If you know what I mean, it's not. It's yeah. not like you walk out of that movie going, "Oh my god, that is a once in a lifetime plot. I'm going to have to steal it." We 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 created a whole uh, TV show, kind of based on this idea. Uh, my friend and I about this uh, platypus, and and he's basically a professional tourist. Right. So he goes to different countries. And it, again, it's all visual. And it was called Periwinkle. And uh, all, all he did was just get in trouble in these situations. 
you know, and it was very, it's all physical comedy and stuff. And, um, and it, it worked as these little two minute shorts, but mm -hmm. then we couldn't get anybody to commit to it. And we wrote a movie about it, putting him into situations and stuff. And, um, and it just wouldn't, people didn't get it. You know, I mean, you I wonder. Have, you should have, you should have called it Platypus Rex and taken it to Spielberg. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, but so the party was, you know, uh, the timing, yeah, the character, uh, everything about it. Um, just, you know, I just remember watching it for the first time and being lost. And I can't believe it's all happening like this. And, and this, the, the the delivery of the gag the delivery of the gags and I was always a Pink Panther fan you know mm -hmm. I mean most everything Blake Edwards did the Great Race and stuff was except you know, the except the cartoon ex the which cartoons the, the Pink Panther cartoon oh I yeah. like those two and that is much they're, but, they're, yeah, they're pretty oh. dire <laughs> yeah they're definitely not <laughs> what it used to be um, it's funny I don't yeah I don't find myself going back to them I just remember you know my childhood it was like oh thank God there's a cartoon on you kind of watch anything, but that, that was better than a lot of things that were on. Well, was, they, but I can't they, point they, to one Pink Panther from, joke, and I can do 50 Bugs Bunny ones off the top of my head. Well, the, Blake Edwards was also behind The Inspector and a number of other lesser lights uh, yeah. that were being done in extremely limited animation style with like Xerox looking. I just never found that a particularly funny character. No, he wasn't. He was, great. He was great in the titles, the opening titles. He was great. Yeah, well, that was uh, Richard Williams. Yeah. But in the cartoons, he was lackluster. Yeah, and I think I think he that was you know that was already the 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 darkness was approaching the animation industry where the theatrical shorts went away, mm -hmm. and all these animators were just you know scraping. Well, they for they work. went away because they were bad. I mean, the the, yeah. the last Warner Brothers cartoons are just so impossible to watch yeah. and so bad. I agree, um, but there's I mean there were good animators working on those shows. Just they. Uh, I know when I first started at Hanna-Barbera, there was some of the old guard left and they would tell me stories about these amazing, you know, animators who worked on the classic Tom and Jerry's and all these mm -hmm. things. And, and they were just spending the last of their days at Hanna-Barbera, just working on you know, Smurfs and Percent. just all this stuff. And, and for lunch, they would go to the casting office which was this bar just down the street from the original Hanna-Barbera building. And there would be, the bar would be completely full. <laughs> and they installed a PA system that they would call the workers back <laughs> from Hanna-Barbera <laughs> from, uh, from the bar. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was kind of, uh, it was sad. And Tex Avery, you know, his last dying days was there. Yeah. You know, so it was. It, was it is when it is this like sad. 70s? Uh, 80s, 80s. Yeah. Oh, sure, smart. Yeah, okay, 80s. Yeah, but I, yeah, 70s, 80s, most of uh, early 90s were just terrible. Yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, so that was the party, and then, um, uh, oh, yeah, another one that I kind of came upon kind of later was The Sorcerer. Oh, the freaking film, yeah, oh, yeah, and uh, and it was funny, and I, and I uh, I don't remember how I stumbled upon it. Maybe one of my friends told me to watch it and I watched it and it was exactly everything that I love. You know, I mean, I'm definitely drawn to seventies films. I don't know because if they're raw or just more expressive, I don't know what it is, but it had that feeling. And again, that whole beginning has very little dialogue and you're just, 
you don't know you don't know where the movie's going you know especially well, the dialogue like, it has doesn't matter it's that kind of amazing like you don't have to understand a word anybody's saying does yeah you're still yeah. totally understanding everything and yeah. that they're creating these uh which was i thought fascinating these villains for heroes mm-hmm. right they're all bad people they all deserve to die or whatever get punished and now they're all stuck together and they all want out of this horrific situation and it's all visuals it's that nobody's sitting around and saying how miserable they are right you know it's such a different that's the that's the thing that i could never understand why that has gone away for the most part is we and and i don't know why but you know it's more proper today to do a, a monologue about how bad you feel versus just to express it express it visually which yeah. is so weird because everything has to be sort of dumbed down so it can be easily dubbed for foreign audiences because everything has yeah. to play all over the world you would think nothing plays easier than yeah a car chase or a guy falling down the stairs it's uh, yeah and, and that movie you know each sequence you're building you're understanding everything and like you said, like it's you know some of it's subtitled, some of it's not, and uh, I don't think there's any music in the beginning, like when they're building everything. Um, and then you get to this miserable town, and again, just visuals after visuals. Worst place of, in the world, and it's yeah. raining too. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like this is like this is exactly the the way I want to tell my stories, you know. Mm. And um, and so that had a profound effect on me, and then the. The uh, the whole uh, you know the nitroglycerin truck through the jungle and taking it over the most ridiculous rushing river and the the you know you get this truck on the falling apart bridge it's just incredible and you're just watching it and I think it's it's where I really started to learn um, sound design and all these things with music and sound design they're very obvious right like to a degree every movie has it. But you generally you don't think about it. You're like, oh, I like the score, but you don't really realize what it does and its impact. And when I first started to do Dexter's Lab, you know, I'm a 25 year old director. I've done nothing. You know, I'm a, I'm a film fan like anybody else. And I've got my first cartoon and here we go now spot music for it. You know, so I try to find books. I try to find lectures and there's nothing that, you know, like I tried to find like, well, how did Hitchcock and Bernard Herrmann work? You know, and then, so I found some old, old interview and Hitchcock, you know, goes, well, I gave him real one and he gives me music. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Hitch. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, and, and, uh, and I had too many, I'm like, I can't do that. I have to let them know what I want somehow. And it was, it was very interesting where I had these two older composers and I was very young. And so I spotted the whole movie the whole TV show, seven minutes of how I thought the music should work. You know, I thought about it and blah, 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 blah. And I came back to the preview and it was completely opposite. Like they just ignored what I said and they just did what they did. And, and I was blown away and I was horrified because it didn't work at all. Right. Just instinctively in my gut, it just told me this is terrible. And so slowly we went over every sequence and at the end, they're like, so wait, you want it completely different? And I'm like, oh, yeah. And luckily, the second time they did it the way I wanted to, and it, it, you know, it worked great. And they were happy with it, too. They're like, oh, we see what you're doing. Not oh, that I God. knew what I was doing. I, just, I was just trusting my gut. And so 
that was probably the hardest thing about animation is, you know, we, we do these visual sequences and then when you, when you get them back from overseas or the first time in edit, uh, you know, there's no temp music, there's no animatic the way we work and you watch it and it's just raw. Right. And, and then when you put the music and sound on it, like nobody, no matter how many times we've done this, it's shocking sometimes if the music is especially good or the effects are great, how everything's elevated and it just fills in the details of everything that's sometimes missing. And, uh, and yeah, and so it's like, it's, it's for, for these movies, I started to realize like, yeah, there's a sequence with no music and it's great. It's really good with no music. And so I really started, even in the early days of Dexter, I would have sequences just with no music. Did you, did you have to fight for those at that stage? No, not. no, that's like I was, I was. No, that saves money. I was going to say, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, the funny thing is who I had to fight with is my, my first mixer. You know, like he just wouldn't want to mix it the way I would. And that's another thing, yeah. you know, when you're a young, you know, young kid, there's no books about mixing. There's nobody you could turn to and say like, well, what are the theories of mixing? Like, what should you listen to? Like, what, how do you do this without just guessing or just trusting your gut? And maybe that's, that's all it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, and because the mixer wouldn't mix the way I wanted to. And like, cause I wanted in a big musical action sequence, it was, they were making the grunts, the efforts uh, mm-hmm. twice as loud as the music. Yeah. And so he would put the bed of the music very low so the grunts would be loud. And I'm like, I don't care about the grunt. That could be buried. You know, like, who cares? I want the, the music. Right, right. And he, we had to fight for it. So what I did was I had no grunts. <laughs> I, I started to omit all the dialogue from my action sequences. Fantastic. And that was kind I of, the, yeah, it was just the birth because out of necessity, because this guy wouldn't listen to me. But now, now you're expending creative energy trying to figure out how to do an end run around, around your own crew. It's, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> that's frustrating. It's horrible. Um, anyway, so yeah, so the Sorcerer, and then I, I, I was so enamored by it. I go, what happened to this movie? Oh, yeah. Right? And then I looked it up, yeah, and it came out the same day as Star Wars did. Pretty much. Yeah. Have you seen the original picture that it's a remake of? Yeah, Wages of Fear. It's yeah. also a great movie, but it in is. a completely different way. Yeah, um, I agree. But, I, but Sorcerer was also the picture that Friedkin made right after The Exorcist. Oh, wow. And everybody figured, oh, Sorcerer, he made another horror film. Right. And then they went to the movie and said, we're not a horror film. What is this? You know, <laughs> it's a bunch of people in a foreign land. And yeah. sometimes it's got subtitles, for Christ's sake. Um, so it, it just tanked. But uh, it has, I think, come back uh, in reputation. Oh, a big time, yeah. And because uh, uh, I remember, yeah, like my dad and I tried to see Star Wars and couldn't, so we ended up with Sorcerer and just being like, "Oh my fucking god!" You know, it's like <laughs> if the movie all my friends are raving about is half as good as the movie I just saw, the Star <laughs> Wars thing is going to be great. But, but yeah, Freakin is now. Uh, I just did a Q and A with him uh, for a screening of it um, at the Cinematheque a couple of weeks ago, and he has gone from. I think a lot of directors do this for sort of years, going, "That's ah, a piece of shit," not wanting to talk about it because it had not done well. So he is finally like he now talks about it as his best film, and I've, I've, I believe that. I know Joe and I disagree on that. A little Isn't bit. he you just know. about to start a new film? He is starting a new film. Yeah, wow. he's with the King Mutiny. Yeah. Good um, for him. 
Yeah, no. Did he, was it was it him or Frankenheimer who did the train? No, that was, Frank. that, that was Frankenheimer. But he yeah. took that over from Arthur Penn, who got fired. Okay. Oh. Um, that's a great yeah, movie, too. That's a, yeah, an incredible yeah. movie. Um, so that's the Sorcerer. Um, let's see what Saul says. Oh, yeah. So then we can uh, uh, talk about Rafifi. Yes. Um, and again, same, same type of thing where, uh, and I, I haven't seen it for a while. So last night I'm like, oh, maybe I should watch it just to refresh. Ugh. And uh, <laughs> it? it's so good. Yeah. And my, because I have it on DVD and then my DVD player is still has the, the round connectors, right? Mm-hmm. And my new TVs don't have that. It's just all oh, HDMI. HDMI. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, no, I can't even. What am I? I'm supposed to watch this DVD. <laughs> and then I look it up on my phone and it's part of the .org. So they have it in the library. Oh, right. So I was able just to stream it from my phone. And yeah, and it's just amazing. And yeah. um, just the whole theft sequence, you know. Uh, talk, about no, talk about no dialogue. Yeah. Well, that was, I, that was what the party was to you or Fifi was to me when I was starting out because I, I would write, I wrote a ton of uh, crime scripts. Mm. And it was also at a time, you know, I still don't think it's a widely known film, but like nobody knew where Fifi, you know, when I was first starting as a writer in the 90s, I must have written five five to 10 page silent heist sequences uh, <laughs> into scripts. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was just obsessed with it. It's such an amazing, amazing sequence. Yeah. And it seems like it's the, the most obvious way to go with a heist. You, you set up the alarm and the booby traps and all this stuff, and then you have yeah. to find your way through it. And, and you uh, can't talk. because You can't talk. Yeah. 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 There's, I just rewatched, I mean, I've seen it a million times, but Thief. And, and oh, James Conn. Many, yeah, many yeah, nods yeah. to that in Thief, that, that amazing heist in the middle of it, where it's just the entire process just plays out. I, what is it that, like, somehow if I was watching, you know, people just, like, spot weld, you know, the, the side of a ship or something, I don't know if I could spend 15 minutes <laughs> being as riveted. But the fact that they're breaking into some safe to steal diamonds just uh, makes it riveting. Yeah. And I think it's, I was thinking about that similar as I was watching it last night. And it was like, a, yeah, it's, it's, it's character building. Mm-hmm. You, you care for the characters, you know, the stakes. And then you're so invested when you get into this, into this bit um, that you're just, you are, you're just like, oh my God, can they get away with it? Can they do it? And then, you know, and then it escalates from there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, still kind of, you know, still holds up and all the actors are great. And the, the personalities. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's this, it's very obvious the kind of things that I like and that, that I try to do is it's just visual character building, telling stories with pictures, with animation. Um, and it's, 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 a, <laughs> it's a crazily dying art, which is ridiculous. That, that is insane. It, yeah. yeah. It seems like it's the foundation of cinema and here it is completely changing into just uh, just dialogue stuff. Well, the, and the thing with silent sequences too is that the performances have to be good. Yeah. Um, which again is not to blow too much smoke, but my God, I mean, one of the things that just blows me away in Primal is how good the performances are in both the dinosaur and the caveman. I mean, it's like, I know what he's thinking, you know, and it's not just from the juxtaposition of images. It's, it's incredible. So your favorite cartoon or, or comic strip when you were a kid must have been Alley-oop. 
It wasn't. It was, you know, it was, it was Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, uh, sure. You know, and it had both. They had that amazing wit and dialogue, mm-hmm. but the characters, the characters were so real. And then they had, then he had, he did those strips with no dialogue, mm-hmm. you know, or just for the very end. And it was, it was the same thing. It was just, yeah. just magical that way. And, but yeah, but the, the, the performance, it's funny you say that because it is like we, we chose a style to draw it in where we could be very expressive. Mm-hmm. It's that Clint Eastwood philosophy where you can, you know, if, if I'm on a tight close up on him, I want to, I want to see extra lines and the grit and the comic bookiness of it to have it be come alive and have it be, have it be unique. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's just, it, I remember like just the first, there's a, there's a moment when, um, you know, your, your main character sees the dinosaurs babies being eaten by another dinosaur and there's the look on his face as he's he's clearly going oh he's recognizing the trauma the character is going through he's tying it to his own trauma he's realizing that they have some kind of kinship there he feels for him and it's just a look on the face of a fucking cartoon character i mean it's just yeah and that was that was kind of the, the big difference that happened for primal that elevated it was before i would my shows were being animated in korea Right. So you, you do the storyboard, you do the model designs and then you, mm-hmm. and you and I do the timing and we ship it over and then they animate. It, right. And it's and it's animated by there's a few really good animators, but the rest of them are not good at all. It's just very functionary. Right. And and they used to get paid by footage. Right. So if you do, you know, if you do 10 seconds a week, you're making money versus if you do five. Right. Right. So, so the, the goal of every animator is to do as much as they can. So the quality mm-hmm. suffers. Anyways. And so fast forward, I'm like, I'm not doing that again. And with Primal, because it wanted all that facial acting and expressions and more real animation, like old school stuff. They paid their animators weekly. Right. There's a quota that they want them to hit, but it's a weekly salary so they could dive in. And mm-hmm. so I was deathly scared if it was going to work. So like that scene you're talking about. It's very long, yeah. Right. It's it's almost like a live action actor would go through the process, and then you would the scene would be what it would be, and then I would have to draw it all and and time it out, and it's each shot was so long. It, as I was looking at it, I'm like, oh my god, is this going to work? But then when the real animator got a hold of it, and then they animated like there's this. I think it's that same scene where he's like, he's like snarling and his nose is shaking. You know, and, and and you could, you could see the thought process. And that's mm-hmm. that's the amazing thing about animation is that when it's really animated, yeah, you could you could it comes alive. You know, I mean it's, that's you know, all that Disney old Disney stuff, that's all it was. I mean, they're so yeah. good at making the characters uh, come alive. And it's funny, and I'm still, you know, like I still love animation so much. And we're doing this rated R 2D animated film right now. Um, and we've hired some of these old school guys who are just amazing. And there's this guy and he animates like just incredible. And he, it's about this dog and he's just makes the dog come alive, you know, and it's just, just incredible. And you see it on the big screen and you're like, all right, this is what it's all about. You know I mean? Like you can, you know, story plot, all that stuff. But if you can have a character come alive, yeah. That's the goal. Can we ask what the project is? Or? Oh, it's called Fixed, and it's oh, and it's oh wow. Okay, I'm I'm already. 
And it's about already, a dog. He's already squirming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's a 2D, 2D hand-drawn animated uh, rated R comedy about a dog who finds out he's going to get neutered. Uh, right. And, and what does he do in these last 24 hours? Uh, uh, wow. It sounds like an Agnes Varda movie. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's only R you say it's only R. Yeah. <laughs> I say that's, uh... There's no dog penises. There's no, so, you know. so who is putting this out? So it's, we're doing it at Sony, but new line is going to release it. Great. Oh, yeah. Right. They know how to sell that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yes. There's so many of those. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, edgy stuff. Yeah. Yes. They're, they're definitely rated R and they're, they've, yeah. uh, they've embraced it and, uh, and it's again, it's like, and I'm going through this process because I've been working on this project for 12 years to try to sell it. Now we finally sold it. And the script was mostly dialogue because right to sell it, I couldn't go to too many physical jokes. And now we're making it and I'm, I'm cutting out half the dialogue. Out, yes. Yes. Oh, wow. Do you, uh, do you have a dog? I do. I have two dogs. Yeah. They're, Are they fixed? Yes. <laughs> They are. You have a heart. <laughs> well, they're 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 giant Saint Bernards. So one's two hundred, one's one twenty-five, and wow. so uh, wow, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. Um, so right, so that was Rafifi. Um, so another one on my list is the Third Man. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. right, and also you know highly visual, um, you know, especially for the chase. I think I've studied that chase in and out so much um, because it was so, uh, just so, you know, it's very um, film noir, very, so graphic, you know, and I think uh, I've done that chase a couple of times in Samurai Jack where there's somebody chasing in the sewers and just to get light over dark, you know, was, was a big and lesson the, in that. The expanding movie. shadows and so forth. All that. Yeah. Yeah, just really great. And and one thing about that movie that struck me later is the score. Mm -hmm. You know, it's such a unique score and it really taught me like, yeah, I you don't have to do things like what it's supposed to be. You know, like they could have done a normal traditional score and it probably would have been equally good to a degree. But this score just made it so much more unique. You know, and it's sometimes that thought of that uniqueness or, or what, what's the approach that's specifically me, you know? Um, I feel like and I came to this realization, like, yeah, if I'm a director, people should want to hire me for what I do, not bring right. me in so I could do what they do or tell me mm -hmm. what to do. And so I'm like, right. And so if they do that, I have to do something very specific. Right. And so uh, like, even on hotel Transylvania, they are like, you know, they, they weren't fans of the uh, cartoony animation at first, right? And they're like, you know, we're not sure if this is working. And I go, like, look, this is what I do. You hired me to do what I do. So right. let me do what I do. If, if you can do it, you can direct it. I have no problem with that. <laughs> but why are you telling me something this global, you know? And... Uh, that conversation they, has been had so many times, yeah. so many sets. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, uh, I just don't understand it. And you have to reason with them. Like, I can't just explode, right? 
Oh, and, and that takes was, time away from your creativity because now you have to, yeah. di diplomacy is taking more time than actually the art. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that was the, that's exactly right. On the hotel movies, it was 90% fighting and diplomacy and 10% creative. Mm. Mm. I had one of those too. Just one? Now, Looney Tunes was my was that the movie word? in that vein. Yeah. But With animation, Prim of course. But yeah, but for Primal, it's the opposite. It's you know ninety nine percent creative freedom and just how to tell the best story and you know and just the you know keeping it on budget and on time is the rest of it. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, right. So that was the third man, um, Papillon. Sure. Was also um, a really great movie. Again, you know, super visual. Nineteen seventy three one. Yes, of course. Yes. yes. <laughs> Um, and especially, I remember really being affected by the chase, you know, uh, with that Brazilian guy who's chewing the co Coke or whatever that was mm. to get him all energized. Mm -hmm. There was a really cool vibe to the way they, they structured the chase sequence and, um, and it was neat. And the whole, the whole, again, it was like one of those movies that had its own very particular tone that I really enjoyed and, and, uh. And it affected me. And again, just more visual storytelling, building character, uh, just feeling, feeling it um, was was very Im impactful. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. And the um, uh, it's also whenever I think of Papillon, I think of I think of McQueen's face <clears throat> when he sticks his head out of that door, and he just looks so just beaten and battered. And yeah. Again, kind of, and I hope this is not a bad word to use in your in your line of work, but kind of cartoony. There's a sort of uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, everything is it's it's. I mean, film, right? Film in itself is is a caricature, right, of real life. Sure. And so, and just how far how far do you push it? Yeah. Um. So that was another one, and then it's funny because when you when I came on, you guys were talking about Fury Road, and I should have put that one on the list because that. You know, oh my God! Yeah, the yeah. first, uh, like the first twenty minutes, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's by the way, only no scripts, all storyboards. Yeah. The entire right. movie is storyboards. Crazy, yeah, yeah. And there's a, there's a, there's such a magic to it. And uh, and I got to work on the second Iron Man for a little bit. Like uh, John asked me to help him conceptualize the ending action sequence. And so, you know, we came in and, you know, I wrote out the beats of what would happen. He made some adjustments and then we just started boarding, no script, you know, mm. and, and it was great because I got to storyboard it. I got to direct the previs and I got to do some second unit stuff. And, and it was like, oh, right. You know, everything, everything, each step goes wrong. Like, you know, like I would write a gag, storyboard the gag. You know, I get it approved. John loves it, whatever. Then we go on set and it's set up completely opposite the way it should be. And I'm like, oh no, like, how are we supposed to? This is ruining the joke. <laughs> so it was, it was a lot of stuff like that that you start to realize uh, on a movie of that scale, you know, how many, how hard it is to control it. Um, but yeah, but the storyboards was everything. And, and, and like, I even got into the Iron Man suit with the, you know, with all the, the the sensors on it and well, did the did the acting and got to cut the previs together and everything and so 
it was really uh, very gorilla of it. And then, uh, you know, and they used some of it and some of it they didn't use. And, you know, so and that was, is, are you actually Iron Man in some scenes? Like if we see it, that's there, you running I around. Think, I think there's one that survived was the big 360 shot. I feel like it's still my performance, but I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, but there was an interesting that happened, an interesting thing that happened on that movie where, so I, I cut together the sequence, right? And then I handed it off to the editor. And then, uh, and then I, you know, I was done and I left. And then John invited me for a preview screening and the sequence came on and it was most of the same shots that I had, but reordered, mm. right? And the way I do it, I feel like my pacing and my rhythm is part of the entertainment value, mm-hmm. right? And so it was cut all different. And so the rhythm felt very awkward to me, not maybe because I knew what it's supposed to be. But so, you know, so John asked me what I thought. And I said, well, you know, it's, it's good, but I just got to tell you, because it's recut, Part of the entertainment is the building and the rhythm that I created. You know, it's like you create a song. And he was like, okay. And then the cool part is when we came back for the next screening, it was recut more to the way I had it. And all of a sudden it kind of felt, it felt better. So it was kind of cool to see it, you know, and because I feel like, um, I feel like that's part of it is you're, you're structuring a song. Right, right, right. And the, yes, the highs, exactly. the highs and lows, and that's when you when you watch Fury Road, right? It's like a it's like a musical journey through all the action, and it's yeah. so rhythmic, um, and it's fantastic. And so much of conceived that way. They keep talking in the book about how disturbing it was for the actors, and sometimes they'd stand there and they'd say half a line, and he'd go cut, and they wouldn't get together before, but he just knew exactly what he was looking for and how it was going to cut, and he'd never use the rest of it, and. You know, because it was all, as you say, sort of already there in his there. mind as a song. As a, his new, uh, his new picture is definitely worth seeing. Oh, you already saw it? Yeah, it's really, it's definitely worth seeing. And try to see it in a big screen if you can. Okay. Um, and, and hurry up because apparently it's not doing very well. Yeah, Uh-oh. but it's nice to hear that Favreau's a good guy because uh, Joe Joe is in the middle of a beef with John Favreau. Right? Oh no! No, I'm oh, not. <laughs> Over over Gizmo and the the baby Yoda. He had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Isn't that his show? His show, but he had nothing to do with it. Copying the design. I'm dying yeah. to get him on the show and have him go. Oh yeah, they just copied the uh, Gizmo. <laughs> amazing. That would be amazing. Um, you you have one more, yes, and I... yeah, and Saving Private Ryan, and uh, it's probably it's the beginning, right? Yeah, That's, yeah. Oh my God, um, <laughs> that opening sequence. Such a well orchestrated, designed executed action sequence you know yeah. um like you know uh, the longest day was one of my favorite world war ii films and mm-hmm. i'm kind of a world war ii buff like it's fascinating to like i i'm sure i've seen most of the movies and especially submarine movies i really love mm-hmm. i don't know why but uh and so that one you know watching it on the big screen and the bullets sipping and the the rhythm from the realistic to then the slow-mo and, and it just, just handled and We've seen all that stuff before, but, but handled so elegantly. Not quite at that level. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, just the explosions, the chaos of everything. Uh, again, just, you know, visual, visual storytelling. Um, 
everything about it. Always, I mean, not it. to, and I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but I, it, my, my only, my problem with that film was always that nothing could possibly live up to that, that opening. You know, and it's like whatever yeah. comes, it's like I've never been able to fully judge the rest of the movie because that thing sets you up so incredibly for, you know, something else. But you, but you couldn't watch a whole movie that intense. No, 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 you absolutely couldn't. You probably, well, I don't know, maybe you could. I, 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 I don't know. You'd probably lose your mind, but it just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you top that. And it's um, uh, it's sort of a tough thing with like opening with the biggest bang you have, I guess. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting point because, you know, in, in action films used to be, you know, you, you, you build your, it's the James Bond theory, right? You, mm. you build your stunts until you get to Thunderball and you have the big underwater fight, right? But you're, yeah. You're, you're getting there. And then action movies became Fast and Furious. Mm-hmm. And it's everything's at 11. Yeah. You know? Um, and so how do you top it? And it's interesting. I never had that thought about Saving Private Ryan. I thought, wow, this is, you know, the most dramatic entrance on a global scale. But then we go in deep with just yeah. these guys and all the, all the fights become more... Um, individual and more personalized so that's where it felt different to me because the it wasn't just another war sequence right yeah it's not just a movie about rubber or set pieces but yeah but yeah i just did um, uh, i need to go back to it too but but no i was expecting um and maybe it's not even so much a sequence but but one of the things that hit me the other night is i i'm you have to be a joe versus the volcano fan of course very okay much. Yeah. there's there's a shot in season two and i was like oh my brother because uh, that movie does not get enough love but how about it doesn't get any they're, they're on a raft and there's a giant moon and i kept thinking if if this guy can talk he would be going thank you for my life <laughs> it's not a reference to that but for sure uh, oh my god really no oh i felt like it was it, like it's so much that shot you know the one i'm talking about yeah was, yeah for sure yeah, yeah. Um, and that that movie is so cartoony yeah and and heightened and caricatured but uh again just works and and so fun and imaginative and and directed by a playwright no less not a not someone you expect to be that visual but yeah yeah i love it Um, well well well, gandy man thank you thank you so very much for coming on this is a great great subject um no thank you uh this is this has been a blast um now I got to go back and like rewatch half this stuff. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but I refuse. I was like, we're going to have the guy on. Should I watch the last couple? I was like, nope, nope. My, my kid comes first. We watch them together. It's his schedule. So we still have a couple left of uh, season two. But you've got so much stuff coming up. Um, I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're really flooding the airwaves with, uh, and the movie theaters with product. It's, 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 it's remarkable. It is. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it was partially, you know, streaming, right? Streaming came on and mm-hmm. suddenly there's five more buyers where we used to be three, right? Or whatever the number. And then, and then the success, you know, success breeds success for a little while. Mm-hmm. So I have another show that's coming out, hopefully early next year called Unicorn. And that's the one I've been trying to make for 15 years. And, uh, and so all of a sudden they just wanted it, you know, so Right where COVID hit, I had Primal, I had Unicorn, I had Hotel Transylvania 4. Um, and everybody's like, well, you know, how can you do all this? And I go, look, they're buying it and it's my stuff. And as long as people want it, I'll find a way to make it. I don't care. I'll, I'll sleep later. And then sure enough, you know, just two years later, 
Warner Brothers Discovery and there's no green lights in sight right now. And so it's exactly why I do it because it's, it's Hollywood and you just never know yeah. if you're, you know, so true. you're hot one day and the next day you uh, can't get a call returned. It's amazing you could find the time for us. Though. No, I appreciate I, it. I appreciate yes. it. It was super fun. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Stay safe out there, folks. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.